0: I want you to look with me in 1st Kings chapter number 19. 1st Kings chapter number 19. You know I think if you're very familiar with their Bible, you know the background here of this passage. And you know that uh Elijah has been up on the mountain and he has had a contest with the prophets of Baal. And he they Israel was he said how long halt ye between two opinions and what their problem was. They couldn't decide if they wanted God to be God or Baal to be God. They couldn't decide who they want to serve. A lot of folks like that in the day we live. They just can't make up their minds. They're double-minded and unstable in all their ways. And so Elijah said, Let the God that answers by fire, let Him be God. And Jehovah God answered by fire. And then Elijah slew 450 of them. My old friend Billy Goolsby, he's in heaven now. He said, Elijah turned them into a non-profit organization and uh, that's kind of what happened and he's just won this great victory and you would think boy they won the great victory everything's going to be fine but then he gets a letter yeah a lot of time a letter will take you from the top to the bottom won't it right i remember dl moody was preaching one time and while he was get just getting ready to preach somebody came up and handed him a, a little boy handed him a note that somebody had written out the congregation and he opened it up see what it was he thought it was a prayer request he opened it up it said fool that one word fool D.L. Moody looked out and said, well, folks, a strange thing has happened today. He said, many years in my ministry, many times I have received letters that were unsigned. But today I got a letter and they didn't write anything, but they did sign their name. Sometimes you get a letter, you don't know what's going to be in it, what it's going to do to you. Elijah got a letter from Jezebel and he went running. He fled. Did you know that God met him? The angel of the Lord met him and fed him and gave him what he needed to get along. And he was headed. I think he was headed somewhere. I don't think he was running helter-skelter. And the reason I believe that is because the Bible said the angel of the Lord said the journey is too great for thee. You wouldn't say that somebody just running because you don't know where they're going. But he was headed somewhere. Here's where I think he was trying to get to. I think he's trying to get to the mountain where Moses had seen God. He kept mentioning his father's. Moses was his, one of his fathers of Israel. So he comes to the mountain, and you know about the earthquake, you know about all the things that happened, and that still small voice speaks to Elijah. And I want you to notice what happens in, in uh, verse number 13. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering into the cave, and behold there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous. Now notice that I have. I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenants, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of abel mahola shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Now watch this next verse. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Now, I'm going to pray when I'm done praying. I want to preach on this subject. He is seven thousand times better than I thought he was. Let's pray. Father, we love you because you first loved us. And we are greatly in need of your help today. So help us now in the next few moments to do what you'd have us to do to bring glory to your name. And Lord, if you get glorified, we'll get helped. I pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now I'm looking at this passage and I'm I'm noticing what Elijah, Elijah has to say. He made this statement, I have. He was thinking about himself. He was thinking about what he had done and not about God and what God had done. Because God will respond to him in a little while and say, I have. You know, I, I wrote this down in my notes. Poor God. Poor God. All he has is Elijah. Elijah is his only hope. And if Elijah doesn't get the job done... Poor God, nothing's going to happen for him. Right. Too many times we feel that way. That's right. We feel like we're the only one doing anything for God. And if we don't do it, God's not going to get anything right. done. I, I just preached a couple of weeks ago. I, I, this is my second meeting. I took a week off in between, but I preached on the radio at WGCR a couple of weeks ago. And there was a man used to come there, Dr. Ray Aiken. He pastored up at the Rosman Baptist Tabernacle. And when he would preach in that meeting, I would write down things that he said because he said, he just said amazing things and I thought they needed to be recorded for posterity. And one time he's up preaching and he said this. He said, you'll be amazed how well things will go after you're gone. But somehow we got the idea that it's all on us. And God can't accomplish anything without us. God will get along fine without us. But we get the wonderful privilege of being involved in the work of God. So I want you to think about this a moment. The problem with Elijah was that God was better than Elijah thought he was. He wasn't minutely better. He wasn't meagerly better. He wasn't marginally better. He was multiplied better. He was 7,000 times better than what Elijah thought. And that's our problem. We, We don't really think... How good God is, yeah. how big he is, how powerful he is. He's so much better than we can contemplate when we think about him. So I want us to look at what he says in his response to Elijah. And we to say three things to you. I won't keep you very long because I don't have enough voice to keep you very long. But I want to say this first of all, when I read about God saying to Elijah, I have left me 7,000. The first thing I think is that his work is more personal than I think it is. It's more personal than I think it is. Now, you say, preacher, how do you see that in there? Well, it's interesting to me that God says there are 7,000 left. I think if we read what Paul said about this in the book of Romans, Paul makes a comment about it. And here's the way he puts it in Romans eleven four. He said, but what say if the answer of God unto him, I have reserved To myself, seven thousand men. So God had been personally working in the lives of these seven thousand men. He'd been so personal that he had noticed everyone that hadn't bowed the knee. He had noticed everyone that hadn't kissed the hand. He had been personally watching their lives and working in their lives. And then notice this. He says this in verse uh, number 15, he said, go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria and anoint Jehu uh, to be king uh, uh, to anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mahola, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. So God had been working in the lives of these three men, particularly and personally, to bring them to a place where they could accomplish His will. And it's interesting to me the difference in these three men. You think about them, study their lives. They're very different. When you when you read about Haziel the king of Israel, and what he's like, and then you read about this man, this man uh, Jehu. One writer called him a rude man and a crude man. I don't know if that's true, but it seems like he is much different than Hazael's. And then what about Elisha? Elisha's out in the field. He's a farmer. When when Elijah goes to anoint him to be king, he's out in the field. He finds him out there, and he and he. Uh, Gives him, he's going to give him the mantle. He's going to put him in his place. All three of those men are different, but God had a personal interest in them. I want to remind you that God is personally watching. He is personally working. He is working in the lives of people right now when you think He's not. His work is more personal than we think it is. Here's the second thing. When I think about this number, I, I like numbers in the Bible. I never was good at numbers when I was in school. I didn't do very good in math. You might have been a whiz at math. I, I was never any good at math. Uh, I got a friend who we'll go out to eat and when he, when he does the, uh, pays the bill, if he pays the bill and then he does, he does the tip on top of it, he always figures it out. Doesn't use a calculator, figures it out in his head to an even number. Always does that. And the reason he does that is so that when he gets his bill, if there's an odd number, he knows somebody's been messing with his credit card. <laughs> so uh, he does that in his head. I can't do that with a calculator. We've got books back there in the back and some CDs and things and DVDs and such. And the girls take care of that. You say, Preacher, why do you you make them take care of it? I don't make them take care of it. They won't let me take care of it because I don't make right change. This lady come one time. she, She wanted some books and CDs and she had it all figured out. She... She wanted change back in an unusual way. And I couldn't figure out what in the world she was doing. So finally, I just let her have whatever she wanted and took whatever she gave me. And I don't know if I cheated her. She cheated me. I still don't know. I'm not good at numbers. I never was. But when I come to the Bible, the Bible has a numbering system. We call it numerology. And they're interesting. They they provide a little extra light on things sometimes. And this number 7,000 is interesting number. First of all, the number seven in the Bible is God's number of completion, his number of perfection. You know what God did? Six days he made the world and then he finished it. He concluded it. And on the seventh day he rested. It's his number of completion and perfection. So I'm thinking the second thing that I read in this passage, not only that God's work is more personal than we think it is, God's work is more profitable than we think it is. Here is Elijah. Let me ask you a question. Where did these 7,000 men come from? God working in their hearts, certainly. But what does the Bible say in the New Testament? Where does faith come from? Faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So somewhere these men heard the word of God. Somewhere they saw a testimony. Somewhere they saw somebody living for God. Wonder who that was. Reckon that was Elijah. So here's Elijah. Here's what he said. I'm the only one left. God said, oh no, Elijah, i got 7,000. What he was saying was, Elijah, your testimony has not been in vain. Your work has not been in vain. Think where Elijah is. He's come off that mountain. He's won that great victory. And now Jezebel wants him dead. And it has affected him so much. And there's a whole lot of preaching we can do here that we won't do this morning. But it has affected him so much that he's run away. He's fleeing. He's trying to get away. And he is so weary that the angel of the Lord has to come. And provide him with something to eat, two occasions. Yeah. And so here's Elijah. He is depressed physically. He is depressed emotionally. He seems to be depressed spiritually. Right. He said, it's enough now. Oh Lord, I'm not better than my fathers. Take away my life. He just soon die. Yeah. You ever feel that way? Sure. You probably wouldn't admit it, but you probably have. I'm, I just stop here and say this. I was preaching one time to a group of teenagers, just been about Oh mama, probably 20 years ago, maybe 30 years ago, I was preaching to a group of teenagers, probably about 500 of them under a tent. And I was going to preach on suicide that night. And so I had them bow their heads. I said, how many of you ever seriously, I'm not talking about a passing thought, but seriously ever considered taking your own life. And there was about half of that crowd that raised their hand. That's where Elijah is. I thought about this. Elijah feels that he's alone. He feels that he has toiled and witnessed and suffered in vain. His preaching's been in vain. His testimony's been in vain. The life that he lived has been in vain. I could he almost hear Elijah say, you know, I might as well stay back doing what I was doing before God called me into this business because I haven't accomplished a thing. But God said, oh, no, Elijah, there's 7,000. That have heard your voice. There are 7,000. I've been able to work in their heart. Because you had a testimony. I want you to understand something this morning. You say, preacher, I don't see anything happening. Then wait for God to show you something happening. And just go on and serve. You know, we may not find out what we accomplish until we get to heaven. We may not. I was in a meeting recently. And I, I a fellow walked up to me. And he said, uh, preacher, I just came to say thank you. And I looked at him and. Honestly, I did not know who he was. I didn't remember who he was. I said, thank you for what? He said, well, you, you don't remember. He said, but we were walking down this same hallway we're in right now. And he said, I walked up to you and you stopped and greeted me and spoke to me for several minutes. And he said, my wife had just died. And he said I was on the bottom. And you'll never know what it meant to me that you stopped by. I didn't know anything about it. I don't even remember the conversation it affected that man's life so much that he wanted to come and tell me about it. You have no idea. I was—I used to preach in a little place called Blue Creek. Blue Creek Baptist Church. I preach in all the large metropolises. I preach in Bean Blossom, Indiana. I preached in Looneyville, West Virginia. Honestly, I did. A fellow said, where are you going next week? I said, I'm going to Looneyville. I've been on my way a long time and I'm just about to get there. I preach in Kazaddale, Ohio, big places. And uh, I was going to tell you something about that, and now I can't remember. I got thinking about bean blossom and forgot where I was going. What was I talking about? My old oh, Blue Creek. Oh, yeah, I remember now. There was a fellow who would come, and he would teach Sunday school. And most of the time, he didn't say much. He'd read a few verses of Scripture and talk about something and cry. That's mostly what he'd do. And I loved it. I liked it. But he worked in a place, a truck, worked for a truck company and there was a transfer place where the trucks would come in. I don't know what you call it. Terminals what you call it. They come in and they unload. And they made fun of him. They called him the deacon because he's always reading his Bible trying to talk about the Lord. So they called him deacon, called him preacher. And they did it in a derogatory fashion to deride him. But you know, one of the young fellows driving the semi got off the main road. I'm not sure exactly why got on a back road, got in a terrible accident, was almost killed. And when he got out of the hospital and came back to work, you know who the first person was he looked up? He looked the deacon up. And the reason he did was because he almost left this world. And he knew there was one fellow who'd tell him the truth about going to heaven. My pastor up in Bean Blossom, Indiana, where I live, he's from Choctaw County, Mississippi. And a lot of his relatives down there They don't have a whole lot to do with him. But when his cousin got in a mess of trouble and knew he needed God, guess who he called? He called my preacher. He called him and said, James, I'm calling you because I'm in a mess and I need God and I know you'll tell me the truth. You don't know where your testimony is going. You don't know what it's doing. Elijah did not know, but God told him 7,000. So let's just be faithful. Now here's the last thing I want you to see. Not only his work is more personal than we think it is, his work is more profitable than we think it is. But then this number thousand, it's 7,000. That number thousand, that's an interesting number in the Bible. And what it teaches me is that his work is more powerful than we think it is. If we were to trace this number through the Bible, and we don't have time to do a lot of that today. We'll have time, but I'll mention a couple of them. I noticed this in Second Peter, the Bible said this, that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. A thousand years is as a day. Now you think about that. Apparently, God is so powerful that the extent of time or the expanse of time does not phase him. It does not bother him.
1: It bothers us,
0: doesn't it? Yeah. I went up there and got my throat looked at, and this fella, he put this I went in and the nurse took all my vitals and then she went out and then she came back in and she laid this long thing, like looked kind of like this, this long thing down. And she said, I'm going to leave this here for the doctor. And I was looking for a door to get out. And this doctor came in and he prayed this stuff down my nose and stuck that thing down my nose and started looking around my throat. He said, Oh yeah. He said, that's going to have to come off there. I said to him, I said, how long will I, how long will it take me? He said, oh, you'll be back normal in four or five days. I said, do you know what I do? I preach. He said, yeah, I know you're a preacher. I said, but I don't preach Sunday morning and then go home. I preach every night of my life. So the other doctor, see this guy, this guy was the flunky. He was the assistant, the, almost the doctor, I guess. I don't know. So when the regular doctor come in, it went from four to five days to four to six weeks. And that bothered me. But apparently it didn't bother God. Time does not affect him. He dwells in eternity. And time is just a little part, a little section in the midst of his eternity. Now, here's why I bring this up. Because when you and I look and say, well, nothing's happening. Just remember, God's not on your time schedule. He didn't change his clock this morning. No. He's never late and he's never early. And so I'm just saying to you, you and I get worried. We get nervous. I I get nervous about it. I'm just like you are about time schedules. But God is not on one. He'll deal with things at his time. And time don't bother him. And then this word thousand is interesting also because in Joshua, the Bible said this, one man of you shall chase a thousand. One man of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord your God. He is it that fighteth for you. So apparently, not only is God not phased; he's unfazed by the expanse of time, but he's unfazed by the extent of the enemy. Doesn't matter how big the opposition is. One against a thousand does not look good to me but God will do our fighting for yes. us. You say, preacher, I'm looking around at the enemy and they're too big. They're not too big for him. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, a preacher friend of mine was preaching a few years ago and he said, I remember going up on the Blue Ridge Parkway when I was a little boy and my mom and dad were there. And he said, I looked at this cloud. I was looking over and there's this cloud. And he said, my mama said, look at that cloud there. It looks like the Lord just put his hand right there. And he said, I was a little fellow. And I looked over at that big old cloud and thought, man, God sure is big. I'm going to tell you, he's more than big. He's bigger than big. He is majestic and mighty. And they're just, in fact, there's so much of him. He sits on the circle of the earth. And the Bible said in Isaiah that he holds all the water of the world in the hollow. Of his hand, not the palm, the hollow, that little indentation right there holds all the water on planet Earth. That's a big God. That's a big God. No wonder one can chase a thousand if God's doing their fighting for him. You say, preacher, we're over, we're outnumbered, we're overwhelmed. No, 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 no. We've got God on our side. Or maybe I should put it this way: we're on His side. So, I would say to you, he's unfazed by the expanse of time. He's unfazed by the extent of the enemy. And then he is unfazed by the enormity of the request. Now, here's another thousand. Listen to this in Deuteronomy 1, verse 10 and 11. The Lord your God... Now, this Moses talking. This is what he said. The Lord your God hath multiplied you. And behold, ye are this day as the stars of heaven for multiple... So... Moses looked at that crowd of Israel, and he said, i tell you what God did. God took Abraham, and of Abraham made a nation, and he said, He has multiplied you so that you're like the stars of the heaven. Now, that's pretty big right there. Anybody know how many stars there are in heaven? I don't know if anybody does, but there's a bunch of them. On a clear night where I live in Bean Blossom, Indiana, you see a lot of stars. But listen to what else he said in the next verse. The Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times so many more as ye are. Now, would you think about that prayer request? Moses said, you're like the stars of heaven. I'm going to pray God to make you a thousand times more than the stars of heaven. That's a pretty big request right yeah. there. But Moses didn't stutter when he made it. Right. Moses didn't say, you know, if he's able, I'm going to ask him to do that. Right. He didn't say, boy, if there's any possibility. He said, here's what I'm praying God will make you a thousand times more than the stars that are in the heaven. That's a pretty big request. Let me ask you a question. You got any big requests? You got any needs that look like they're just too much? That look like they're just too impossible? Look like they are beyond the they've gone beyond the place where anybody can do it? Well, there's God, who Moses said could make Israel a thousand times more than the stars in the heaven. Then there's another thousand. There are more of them, but there's another I want to talk to you about in just a minute. It's found in Revelation 20, verse 2. Here's what it says. And he laid hold on the dragon. You know who that is? The devil. The old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Apparently, God is unfazed by the efforts of the devil. Because one of these days, he's going to take him by the nap of the neck and toss him in... To the bottomless pit and bind him there for a thousand years. You know what? That's going to be a glad day. Amen. Years ago, we were preaching in Virginia. And I can't remember that preacher's name, but there was a preacher preaching there. And my family, my wife's maiden name is Pitt, P-I-T-T. And I don't know, if, I don't think they've ever been here, but her, her mom and her dad started singing. Oh, I don't know. Papa went home when he was 86, was he? And, and Nana's about 86, and they sang gospel music for 50 or 60 years. And so when we first started traveling, they'd always call us the Pitt family because that's Papa's name, Don Pitt. He didn't have a middle name. I don't know why. We called him Don Tonto Pitt. I don't know why we did that either. But anyway, so we're down there singing, and the preacher's preaching on that passage that God's going to take the devil and put him in the bottomless pit. He said, i tell you what we're going to do when that happens. He said, I'm going to get the pit family. And we're going to gather around the mouth of the pit. And we're going to sing, you're in the jailhouse now. So I don't know. We better get to practicing because it looks like it's getting close. But here's what I'm saying to you. You say, preacher, the devil's giving me trouble. I know somebody has much more power than the devil has. I know somebody can do so much more than the devil can do. So I'm just saying to you, whenever we think of God, we need to remember he's better than we think. He's more than we think. He's bigger than we think. Whenever we feel like we're at the end, we better remember God can turn an ending into a beginning. God can turn sorrow into joy. God can turn darkness into light. God said to this man who was on his last leg, He said, I have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal." He said, oh, Richard, what would this message have to do with me? Well, here's what it has to do with us. First of all, if you're a helpless sinner, If you're lost today and on your way to hell, and if you are lost, you are on your way to hell. Only two places a person go when they die. (laughs) Heaven or hell. There's no holding place. There's no floating around in the atmosphere. You're either in heaven or hell. Paul said this. He said, be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. Luke 16 said, the rich man who was lost also died and was buried. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes being in torment. So if you're lost without God, you're headed to one of those two places. You say, preacher, when will I go? The very moment you die, you go to one place or the other to spend eternity. So if you're helplessly lost in your sin, and you say, preacher, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to live like I'm living. I don't want to be what I am, but I can't stop. Let me tell you who can stop you. So I can't get out of this. Let me tell you who can get you out. Jesus can get you out. I was preaching Ambassador Baptist Church. And and when the message was over, this man came to the altar, but he didn't come to the altar. I thought he was coming to the altar. There was no communion table. He'd come up and grab. The the pulpit was right at the edge of the platform. He'd come up and grab that pulpit and hung on to it and started crying out to God. And God saved him. He's a heroin addict. His wife told me about it. I saw him several years later. I was in Georgia. And he came walking up on the platform shook my hand. And I knew it was him because his sister had come the night before and mentioned him. He came up and shook my hand. He said, you remember me? And I said, you're, and I named his name. Rufus was his first name. I said, you're Rufus. He said, I am. I said, how you doing, Rufus? He said, oh, I'm doing great. I'm down here. I'm a deacon at the Baptist Church down here, down the road. And you say, preacher, how does that happen? That's God. Yeah. That's God. You say, preacher, there's no hope for me. Oh, there's hope for you. You can't do it, but God can. Once you come this morning, say, preach, say, Lord, I'm, I'm in a mess. I got myself in a mess. I'm caught in a mess. I can't get out of this mess. You got to help me. You know what he'll do? He'll help you. So I wouldn't know how to call on him. Well, how, have you ever called to somebody when he's in help, when he's in trouble? Here's what Peter did. He said, Lord, save me. Here's, here's what the, here's what that publican did in Luke. Is it chapter 17, that publican or somewhere in there? Here's what he said. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Yeah. And you know what? God heard his prayer. Yeah. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. That's what my father-in-law prayed when he got saved. He said he, he only knew that prayer in the Bible. It's the only one he knew. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you know what God did? He was merciful to him as a sinner and saved his soul. He says, is there enough mercy to save me? His mercy endureth forever. It's higher than the heavens. It endureth to all generations. So I'm just saying to you, you said, preacher, I'm stuck. God is bigger than you think he is. He can get you out of that. He can change your life. I could tell you story after story. I was, but I got to quit here in a minute. I was in Butlerville, Pennsylvania or Butler, Pennsylvania is the name of it. And at the Mount Zion Baptist Church. And after the service, I stood at the back shaking hands. This man walked up to me. He looked at me. Usually people say, glad to see you, preacher. Thanks for coming. Sometimes they'll say nice sermon. Once in a while they say you preach too long. But anyway, usually they'll say something. This fellow shook my hand. He looked at me and he said, 30 years, preacher. I knew I didn't preach that long. He said, 30 years, preacher. I looked at him I said, 30 years what? He said, 30 years since these lips. Have tasted a drop of liquor. Told me about when he got saved. I was preaching in West Virginia, and this man come forward. Preacher let dealt with him down on the front pew, and he stood up afterward. And the preacher said, "You all know this man." Told his name. He said, "Tell him what happened to you." He said, "God saved me this morning. He saved me." So that night I'm preaching, and I'm sitting up on the platform getting ready to preach. And I noticed that fellow's back, but he's sitting with a lady and a little boy. And I nudged the preacher and I said, so-and-so's back tonight. He said, yeah. I said, he's got a lady and a little boy with him. He said, yeah, that's his wife and his son. I said, well, where were they this morning? He said, oh, you don't you don't know him. He's He'd been a drunkard for years. And he said his wife had left him and took their boy. I said, well, they're together tonight. He said, oh, yeah. When he got home this afternoon, he called her and said, honey, i got saved, And I'm not drinking anymore. Will you give me another chance? And you know what? She gave him another chance. As far as I know, they are still together. I'm just saying if you're helpless, God's bigger than you think He is. He can handle more than you think He can handle. He can forgive more than you think He can forgive. And then if you're a weary servant, you've been looking around and saying, well, I'm not getting very far. God is doing more than you think He is. And you'll find out one of these days, so just be faithful. Just stay by the stuff. Don't quit. Don't say, well, I should have just stayed at what I was doing. No, no. just keep going on for God. And maybe one day, maybe in this life, but maybe not till the next, you'll find out what God has done. And then if you're suffering, I like to put it this way, a hopeless sufferer. If you're suffering, you say, preacher, I don't know if there's any help for me. Oh, He's an ever-present help. The Bible said this, I think it's Hebrews 4, Therefore let us come boldly on the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I just wanted you to be reminded this morning, God is bigger and better than we think He is. Why don't we just, why don't we just take that to heart this morning? And whatever our need is, let's bring it and let's not say, well, God's too busy for this or God can't handle this or this is too, let's just come and say, you know what? God wants to be personally involved in my life and he wants to make my life profitable and he wants to show his power in my life and he can do more than I thought he could do. I want you to bow your heads a moment. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Maybe this morning you're here and you're not saved. And you know that if you were to die right now, hell would be your home. You've never trusted Christ. You've never been born again. You've never had your sin forgiven. But you'd like to be forgiven. And you'd like to know the Lord. And you'd like to be saved. Would you come call out to Him this morning? you need somebody to pray with you, The preacher will pray with you, somebody else if you need it. But if you just call out to him and tell him the mess you're in and ask him to forgive you and save you, just come before him as a sinner. Tell him, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved from my sin. Come and tell him. I believe if you'll take your place before him as a sinner and trust him as the Savior, that'll get the job done. That'll get the job done. Would there be anybody here say, preacher, would you pray for me? Because I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know if I died, I'd go to heaven. Please remember me when you pray. You lift your hand, I'll pray for you. I won't call your name. I won't send anybody to you, but I'll pray for you. You say, Preacher, would you pray for me? I don't know if I died, I'd go to heaven. I'm a sinner and I know it. I want to be saved. Will you pray for me? Will you let me pray for you? Is anybody like that this morning? Lift your hand, let me see it, and I'll pray. All right, now here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. When I'm done praying, our sister's going to play something on the piano. We're going to stand when I'm done praying. If God dealt with your heart this morning about being saved, about getting some help, if you're discouraged this morning, why don't you come to a God who is bigger than you think He is and ask Him for what you need to help. Father, help us today. Help these maybe that need to be saved today. I didn't see any hands go up, Lord. But probably in this auditorium, there's somebody lost without you and on their way to hell. And I pray they'll call on you, and I know you'll save them. And then, Lord, I pray for people that just need help. They just need help. And you are the God of help. There's some that need comfort, and you're the God of comfort. So you give them comfort today. Help us, Lord, to think about you being bigger and better than we ever thought you were. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand a moment.